you know, maybe this Christmas, that's what we need. Instead of trying to reduce the chaos in our life or, or try to straighten it up, maybe what we need is for Jesus to be our hope in the chaos. Good morning. I am excited to be here with you all. We start our series, Hope in the Chaos, today. And, you know, my wife and I, uh, we've kind of been in a little bit of a season of chaos ourselves. Um, It was about five months ago that we made the decision for uh, me to accept the role here at Genesis Church. And we were living in Louisville, Kentucky, and so we decided to uh, move up here to the Indy area and to become a part of Genesis Church. And we're really excited, and it's been a fun season, but it's been a bit of an exhausting season. I mean, if you've ever moved from one city to the next or or to another, then you know moving can be exhausting. We had... uh, pack up the house. And we had to say goodbye to friends and family. And at one point uh, in the weeks before we left, there's about a two-week period where out of 14 days, we had dinner with somebody else in their home 11 out of 14 nights. Everybody was just being so kind and gracious to us, but it was wearing us out having dinner with all these people. And so we moved up here and then you got to find a house to live, right? And then once you find a house to live, then you got to do the unpacking and you got to do the settling and Then you got to become familiar with the community, and for us, that's just kind of discovering, okay, what's the best way for me to get to work or for us to get from Noblesville to Carmel and and back and forth? And then, you know, the big kicker is, where's Costco? Where's where's Trader Joe's? Thankfully, Trader Joe's and Costco are right next to one another. That was a big win for us and for our family, and so we've been in a bit of a a season of chaos. But, I mean, um, all of our lives are often filled with chaos. And um, over the next four weeks, we're going to look at a passage in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, or at least we're going to teach on the four names that the prophet Isaiah gave to Jesus. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And as Steve mentioned, uh, it was a chaotic time during Jesus' life. Well, it was a chaotic time during Isaiah's life as well. It was an intense time of oppression for God's people, and they were fearful. They didn't know what the future held. And in the midst of the chaos, God used Isaiah to speak some words of hope. Well, uh, the Christmas season is a chaotic time. I mean, isn't that true? Uh, maybe of all the times of the year... Um, Christmas is one of the most, and you have all of the parties and all of the shopping, and I just, I just, I'm just curious what kind of people we have in the room right now. I just want to know, how many of you all went out shopping on Black Friday? Come on, raise your hand. What's wrong with you people? You know what? You don't realize it, but you just confess sin. We're going to pray for you right now. You know what? It's funny. I say that my wife and I were leaving on Friday to go from uh, Noblesville back down to Louisville for my family's Thanksgiving, and we stopped at the Edinburgh Outlet for about an hour on Black Friday. We had this grand plan. We were going to stop. Okay, I said, okay, here, here's the plan, honey. We're going to stop in three different stores. We're going to do it in one hour. Ha! <laughs> yeah. So we ended up staying. We only got to one store. We never made it to a second or to a third store, and we did get out of there just over an hour, but the lines were long. It took 20 minutes, I feel like, to get out of that store, and It's just a chaotic time during Christmas. But one of the things that I think that makes the holidays the most challenging is measuring up to all of the expectations. I mean, you have to decide whose house you're going to, right? 
That's the big conversation every year, oftentimes with couples and with families. Who's coming and when are they coming and when are we going to do our Thanksgiving or when are we going to do our Christmas dinner and, and do you go to this person's house first or this person's house second? And who do you, who do you not go to this year? Whose house do you not go to? And you got to make those decisions. And then you got to buy Christmas gifts, which oftentimes is a lot of fun, but sometimes it can be, it can be a lot of pressure. You got to make sure you, you know, you don't pay too little for a gift. You don't want to insult somebody by paying too little, but you also don't want to insult somebody by paying too much. And, and you want to communicate the right message. And, you know, if you show up at a Christmas party and all you've got is a gift card, well, I think you're communicating something to those people. There's all these pressure and these expectations to live up to and these whether it's shopping or whether it's buying gifts. And then if you're having people in your home, you know, you got to make sure your house looks good and you want to make sure the condition of your home uh, is, is looking good and well-decorated. And not, I know some of you ladies would get a little insecure, a little sensitive about, is the home big enough? Is it warm enough? Are people going to feel comfortable? Are they going to like the dinner? Am I going to have something for everybody to eat, something that everybody will like? It's exhausting, isn't it? Well, measuring up to expectations isn't just something that happens during Christmas time, it happens all year round. And um, we have these cultural expectations. The Bible calls uh, the culture the world. And so we have this pressure from the world, these expectations we're called to live up to in the world. We're called to accomplish something with our lives. We're called to make a name for yourself, to, uh, to do something great, to be successful, to have it all together. And if you don't have it all together, well, the world says, act like you do. And, you know, the world of social media has not helped this problem by any means. I mean, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter has done nothing but magnify the cultural expectations that we're uh, called to measure up to. I mean, how many of you all, let's be honest, how many of you all get depressed looking at everybody's perfect life on Facebook and Instagram? I mean, I don't know how many times I've pulled out my phone and I'm scrolling through Instagram and I'm going... Man, their life is so interesting. Look what they're doing today. Man, they're having so much fun. My life is boring. So, and I know I'm, I know I'm not the only one in this. Here's what I do. Now, it rules my life. And throughout the day, every day, I'm always thinking, when am I going to do something fun? And so anytime I do something that even is a slight bit, slight bit interesting, or if I'm doing something that seems like it could be exciting to someone else, what do I do? I pull out the phone. I'm like, oh, I'm going to Instagram this. Because you know what? I'm, I'm going to let them know I'm, I'm having an exciting time too. And you know what? Preaching on Sunday morning is exciting. So I'm going to go ahead and take your photo right now. I'm just kidding. But we have these expectations to live up to in our culture. And one guy said, you know, the problem with Facebook and the problem with Instagram and all this social media is we oftentimes end up comparing other people's highlight reel to our behind-the-scenes footage. And we live in a world where we have these highlight reels that are constantly presented to us, and it communicates a message to us to measure up to the expectations. We have that in the workplace, too, though. I mean, in the workplace, you want to you impress your boss, and you, wanna, you want your teammates and your coworkers at work to know that you're, that you're a valuable asset to the company or to the organization. You want your ideas to be adopted. You want your accomplishments to be rewarded and to be noticed. And there's, you know, you've got the family expectations. You've got expectations from your in-laws, and you have expectations from your siblings. And all of these expectations can add up to be really exhausting. And I think that the heart of some of the chaos of a season like Christmas is this, is that we grow tired and weary as a people from trying to measure up to the expectations that are placed on us. And today we're going to look at 
that first name that Isaiah gave us, Jesus, the Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. That word wonderful in Hebrew means a couple things. One, it means too great for words or almost indescribable. And so the best English word we have for that is wonderful, but really it almost means too wonderful to describe. The word counselor means someone who guides or gives counsel or wisdom, but it also, that word counselor also means a king who has the grand plans and the grand purposes. It's the grand purposes and plans of a king. And so Jesus is our wonderful counselor. He is the hope we have in our chaos. Now, if you have your Bible with you or if you use an app on your smartphone, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. We're going to look at a passage here in Matthew 11, and it's a group of people that Jesus is speaking to, and they are tired and weary. And they're tired and weary from living up to the expectations that are being placed on them, and Jesus has some counsel for them, and I think he's got some counsel for us as well. Let's read it together. Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. William Barclay, a Bible scholar, says about this particular passage, he says, you know, Jesus is speaking to a group of people who were seeking God, and they're desperately trying to be good, but they're finding the task impossible. And they're driven to weariness and despair. And I want you to look back at the text. I want to draw your attention to that word yoke. Now, most of you may know that a yoke is a, a piece of a wooden harness that uh, fits over top of an ox or an oxen and fits on their shoulders. And it's a, it, it attaches to a piece of equipment that the ox pulls. And the yoke provides guidance and stability and it helps keeps, keeps the ox moving forward in the right direction. Well, Jesus uses this metaphor. He uses metaphors like this throughout his ministry and throughout his teaching. And he uses this metaphor because in his day, the Jewish rabbis or the teachers would describe their yoke or their teaching as a yoke. So they would say, my philosophy or my view of the way life should be lived or my uh, thoughts and preferences about uh, how, what it looks like to follow God, that's my yoke. And so if every rabbi or teacher had a particular yoke that they would offer their students who wanted to learn from them. So the people Jesus is speaking here, the people that Jesus is speaking to, they've been living under this yoke or this burden of the teachers of their day, and they're not measuring up to the expectations. They're striving to be good people. They're, doing, they're trying to do the right things. But at the end of the day, they're left feeling overwhelmed and discouraged. And they're feeling weary and burdened. And if we're honest, can't we all feel like that? I mean, can't we all relate to that? Doesn't it get tired trying to live up to and measure up to all the expectations? And I think it's safe to say that most of us in this room probably don't have a Jewish rabbi we're learning from on a weekly basis. But we do have people who speak into our lives. We do have people who are quick to share their opinions and their preferences. We, have do, we do have people who want us to adopt their philosophy of life or who have expectations for us. Maybe over the last few years, you've been making a lot of efforts at trying to be a better son or daughter, and you're trying to, be, um, trying to love your parents well, but it seems like no matter what you do, no matter what you say, 
Um, you can't live up to your parents' expectations. And that leaves you feeling frustrated and sad. Maybe you've got some in-laws, and they're always, they're always giving you either indirectly or very directly some parenting advice. And you always leave the house feeling frustrated and insecure about the way you parent. Maybe you've been trying to be really sensitive. You've been trying to work really hard to be sensitive to your spouse's opinions and your spouse's preferences, and you've been trying to please them, but you just feel like a disappointment. You feel like you can't measure up, and at the end of the day, you feel like, gosh, I, I just keep disappointing them. Maybe there's some sin you've been struggling with in your life and struggling to overcome, and you just can't seem to get past it. And it leaves you feeling guilty and shameful because you're not measuring up to these expectations you feel like you should be living up to. And for some of you, the bills are piling up, and there's not much money in savings. And the truth is, the truth is, you can't really afford to buy Christmas gifts this year. But you wouldn't dare let anybody down, and you certainly wouldn't let anybody know that you're struggling financially. And when you're in a place like that, that's stressful, and that's burdensome. When you add up all of these expectations and all of these burdens, it sits as a weight on our shoulders and wears us out. And just like the people here in Matthew 11, we, we can't measure up. We're finding the task impossible. What wisdom does Jesus have to offer us? What wisdom does the, does the wonderful counselor uh, give to us? He says in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me and I'll give you rest. Notice that Jesus gives, A, first, an invitation. He says, come to me. And secondly, he gives us a promise. I will give you rest. And Jesus says, take my yoke. And notice that he says, my yoke is what? Easy and light. My yoke is easy. Do you know what that word easy means? In ancient Palestine, when they would build these yokes, they'd build them out of wood, and they would bring the ox in, and they'd measure the ox because every ox was a different shape and size, and they needed it to be a really good fit. So they would measure the ox. He'd go away. They would build the uh, yoke in the yoke factory, um, and um, in the yoke workshop there, and they would build the yoke, and then they'd bring the ox back in for a second time, and they'd take a second measurement, and they would make any adjustments that needed so that they could very carefully custom fit that yoke to that particular ox. Notice what Jesus says. My yoke is easy. That word easy, I love this. That word easy has two meanings, well-fitting and good. Jesus comes and he says, my yoke is well-fitting and good. And so I want to make sure you get this. And I want you to catch the tone of Jesus' voice and his heart behind his invitation and what he's saying to us today. I think he says with great compassion, and I think even Jesus maybe is there, this hint of pleading to say, come to me. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you because my yoke is good for you and it is custom made to fit you really well. Jesus says, my teaching and my ways, my plans and my purposes for your life are good for you. My thoughts toward you, they're custom made to fit you well. My expectations are not a burden for you. And the real problem is that so often, so often, we allow what other people think and other people's expectations of us to determine how we feel about ourselves. ourselves. We allow what people say to develop and shape our identity and our value. We look to the approval of others for our self-worth. 
And see, this is the difference between religion and the gospel. Because religion says you've got to measure up to the expectations. And this is what they were trying to do in Matthew 11, and they weren't doing it. Because it's, it's, it's impossible. It can't be done. But, but the gospel, Christianity, Jesus says it's all about the relationship. Come to me. It's out of the relationship. That's the expectation. The expectation is this relationship with the Lord, this love relationship. And one of the places in Scripture that I love seeing this most portrayed is Jesus' own baptism. So Jesus, we have some recordings of his birth and the Christmas story that we all read early in the Gospels. But his first scene when he shows up as an adult, where does he show up? He goes to the Jordan River to be baptized. And he shows up and John the Baptist is there and he is baptized by the John the Baptist. And when he comes up out of the water, what what has happened? The heavenly father, his heavenly father, Jesus' father says audibly from heaven, he says, this is my son whom I love and with him I'm well pleased. In this one statement, the father does three things for Jesus. Number one, he gives him his identity. He says, this is my son and I'm his dad. You know, this passage actually inspired me. I've got a two-year-old little girl, and we, my wife and I have a two-year-old little girl and a seven-month-old little girl. So we have two little girls, and I oftentimes will take and, and put the two little, two-year-old uh, to bed. Her name is Selah. I'll put be- uh, Selah to bed, and I will oftentimes, one of the last things I say to her is, you're my daughter, and I'm your daddy. And I want to say that over and over and over again because I want her to be, I want to be firmly planted that her identity is found in her relationship with her mom and I. So Jesus receives his identity from his father. Jesus received unconditional love from the father. He says, this is my son whom I love. Jesus received affirmation from the father. He says, I am well pleased with you. And what's interesting about that phrase, well pleased with you, is it basically means I think you're good. And so the father says to Jesus, you're my son, I love you, and I think you're good. And what's fascinating to me is that he says this to Jesus before Jesus ever begins his ministry. He hadn't accomplished anything in ministry. He hadn't lived up or measured up to any expectations. He says this to Jesus in the beginning before he ever begins his ministry. And I think it was purposeful. I think it was intentional. I I think God was saying to Jesus, listen, your identity is found in me. Your value is found in me. Your self-worth is found in me. Don't worry about trying to measure up to the expectations of the world and the culture that you're going to live in. Find it in me and me alone. I think Jesus wants to say the same thing to you today. That the gospel message is that in Christ, we've been adopted as his son and as his daughter. And that in Christ, God loves us unconditionally. The number one adjective to describe God's love throughout the Bible, it's overwhelming, is unfailing love. God's love for us is unfailing and unconditional. And I think he also wants to say, in Christ, you're really good to me. In my eyes, not with the cultures, not in the culture's eyes, but in my eyes, you're good to me. You measure up. If you look back at the text, I think there are a few things we can learn in order to better understand what Jesus means when he says, come to me. First, I think Jesus says, come to me just as you are. He says, come to me all who are weary and burdened. You know, Jesus knows that we're weary. He knows. He's not surprised by our weariness or our burdensome. He knows. He knows what's going on in our heart. He knows what's going on in our minds. And notice that Jesus doesn't say to, uh, to the hearers, hey, go clean yourself up. Hey, go get your act together. He says, no. All you who are weary and burdened, go ahead. Bring me your weary and your burdenness. And so I want to challenge us. 
in this season of chaos, in this season, especially in the next four weeks, you spend some time with the Lord, that you will come to the Lord and spend some time with Him. You've got to carve out that time. You've got to fight for it in this crazy season we're in. You've got to fight for time with the Lord. But come just as you are. Don't bring your Instagram self to Jesus, right? Don't bring who you present to everybody else. Bring your real self. So if you're feeling discouraged, you need to tell Him you're discouraged. If you're feeling overwhelmed, tell Him you're overwhelmed. If you are disappointed in life, you're angry with something, maybe you're angry with Him, tell Him. He can handle it. Come just as you are. But the second insight that I think Jesus gives us here is come ready to listen. While I think we should go to the Lord and we should bring our burdens and be honest with Him and be transparent with Him, I think He wants us to listen. And I don't think it's because He wants to tell us the solutions and give us all the answers. While Jesus does have all the answers and He does have all the solutions and wisdom we need, oftentimes I think, at least I have found in my own prayer life, more often than not, He doesn't want to give me the answers. He wants to be the answer. He wants me to just come to Him and he wants me to hear some things. What's interesting is when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me in this passage in Matthew 11, one of the meanings of that word learn from me, that word learn means to hear, to hear. And isn't it true? I mean, don't you, don't you find that oftentimes when you go to the Lord and you spend time in prayer, don't you find you're the one who does all the talking? Like, I don't know about you, but this is me. I, I, I've, I've had to work on this throughout my, my, my walk with the Lord, my prayer life, but oftentimes when I come, when I, come I, I do all the talking, and most of the time it's because I really don't know what, I, what I'm supposed to say, and so I just kind of ramble on with Him, and I, I go with these random prayers. But I think the Lord wants us to come to Him ready to listen and ready to hear what He has to say. There are a lot. There are a lot of voices to speak into our lives. There's a lot of people who are placing expectations on us, a lot of people who want want us to hear their voice, and I think it must be. It must be a priority in our lives that the first and most often voice we hear in our lives is the voice of the Lord. He wants to speak into your weariness. He wants to speak into your discouragement. He wants to speak into your stress and your insecurity. Jesus has some things to say to you about your guilt and your shame. And again, I'm not sure it's what we oftentimes would think that he would say to us. We think about a counselor. We go to a counselor in this world, and oftentimes we go there because we want the counselor to tell us what the problem is and what we need to do to solve it. And I think Jesus often wants us to come to him, and he wants to just speak words of affirmation and encouragement to us. He does this all the time. You see this in his ministry. He does this for Simon Peter. He does this for the woman at the well. He does this for the woman caught in adultery. He does this for Zacchaeus over and over and over again. People are brought to Jesus. It's people who are not measuring up to the expectations. They they find themselves in a world of chaos, and Jesus speaks words of hope into their life. And the words of hope are words of affirmation and encouragement. And that's why it's so important that we guard our hearts and minds. Folks, What you listen to and what you watch and what you allow into your mind and into your heart greatly influences your thought life, your emotional life. It greatly influences the way you see yourself, the way you see God, the way you see the world and the people around you. We've got to guard our hearts and minds. The television and movies you watch, the things you read on the internet, the attention you give to things like Facebook, it all greatly affects the way you think and see your life and yourself. And when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he wants us to see ourselves the way he sees us. He wants us to view our lives and our circumstances the way he views them. 
He wants us to align our lives and our relationships and our priorities under his plans and his purposes. The wonderful counselor, I think, wants to share some thoughts and some feelings he has for us. Allow me to take a minute and read from you a portion from a passage of Scripture, Psalm 139. Psalm 139. If you happen to have a pen ready or you're taking notes, I want to encourage you over the next four weeks, I want to encourage you to read through Psalm 139. I want to challenge you to spend some time with the Lord in the midst of the chaos and get alone with Him and open up the Bible. And I want you to specifically read through Psalm 139. If there's anything, any one practice that has greatly influenced my life and I've seen it influence the lives of others, when it comes to my personal prayer life or my relationship with the Lord, it's been praying the Psalms. I don't know if you know, but the Psalms are in the Old Testament. They're right in the middle of the Bible. The Psalms were the prayer guides for the people in the days of Jesus. And Psalm 139 gives us some insight. I, you read through it, will give us some insight into how God thinks and feels about us in our circumstances and in the midst of our weariness. I want you to just imagine as I read this passage or uh, portions of this passage, imagine the Lord speaking to you this morning. God says, I know you. I know you. I know when you sit and when you rise. I know all of your thoughts. In fact, I'm familiar with all of your ways, and before a word is on your tongue, I know it. That's how well I know you. I hem you in. I go before you and after you. I'm all around you. I surround you. I'm near to you. I've laid my hand upon you. There's nowhere you can go where I am not with you. I am with you always. I'm closer than you think. I will guide you and take care of you. I created you. I fearfully and wonderfully made you. I knit you together in your mother's womb. Even before you were born, I had all of your days planned out for you. I think about you. The Bible says in Psalm 139, I think about you a whole lot, and my thoughts towards you are amazing. God says to us this morning, you are precious to me. I am your father. I love you. I'm pleased with you. You're good to me. Don't you love that? That's why it's so important for us to spend time with the Lord. I need to hear that. If Jesus, get this, if Jesus needed to hear those types of words of encouragement and affirmation, if Jesus needed his identity and his value affirmed from his heavenly Father, how much more? How much more do you and I need to hear those words from the Lord? How much more do we need that encouragement and that affirmation? God's word is filled with the truth about how he thinks and feels towards us. He wants to speak these truths into our hearts and minds. And this is why... It is so important for us to be in God's Word. The Bible is our conversational material. So find some time. I don't know if you've ever spent time, devotional time, reading in the Word. If that's something new to you, you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles for you. We'd love to get, some, we'd love to get a Bible in your hand before you left, leave here today. I'll show you. Come up to me afterwards. I'll show you exactly where Psalm 139 is. I'll show you a few more of my favorite Psalms. I'm telling you, if you will read the Word and you will pray some of that, your thoughts will begin to change and Jesus will be able to get speak in, into your life. So Jesus says, come to me and come just as you are. Secondly, he says, come ready to listen. Come ready to hear some things I have to share with you. And thirdly, come ready to believe. Come ready to believe. We've got to have faith and believe and trust that we are God's children, that we have been adopted, that he does love us, that he is pleased with us. Let me tell you something. One of the most important aspects and realities about your life is how you think God views you. You following that? 
I mean, one of the most important realities about your life is how you think God views you. And that's why it's important that we spend time in God's Word and we get an accurate understanding of how God views us. God is eager to interact with us. He is. He's waiting for interaction with us. I think He's excited to engage in relationship with us. The Bible says he delights in us and he enjoys our relationship. And so when Jesus says, come to me, he is essentially saying, come, I just want to spend time with you. I just want to spend time with you. I want to leave you with this image. Um, This maybe was best illustrated for me a few uh, weeks ago. It was actually probably about six weeks ago. I have, as I mentioned, we got a two-year-old little girl. and, And so from time to time, my wife and I will take her on a walk. And up until about six weeks ago, what going on a walk really meant was we're going to put her in the stroller and, and we'd, we'd go for a walk. Well, on this particular afternoon, uh, we had been noticing that she'd been walking uh, better and better and kind of staying on her feet and her balance was, had improved. And so I said, hey, babe, I think I'm going to take her out and go for a walk. I think I'm going to leave the stroller behind and just hold her hand and walk. And so I was like, hey, Sailor, you want to go for a walk? She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She loves going away. So she heads over to the stroller. I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's just, let's just, let's just, you're just going to go with daddy without me. Well, she gets excited about that. And so we head out the front door and we head down the sidewalk and we start walking down the street. Now, we live on an older street and the sidewalk is broken and a little uneven, right? And so I'm noticing very quickly after a couple minutes, she's stumbling over some of the broken concrete. And I'm realizing I'm going to have to hold her hand the whole time. And every few minutes when she stumbles, she starts to fall. I kind of just get do, do one of these numbers and pick her up and hold her up by her right hand. And that was just an endearing walk for me. I mean, that was a monumental benchmark moment for me as a dad. I'm taking my two-year-old little girl for a walk down the street. I'm holding her hand. And you know what went through my head? I started thinking about holding her hand, walking her down the aisle on our wedding day. Her whole life flashed before my eyes. My life flashed before my eyes. I started thinking, oh, here I am walking down Noblesville. I'm like crying as I'm holding my two-year-old. I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, I'm going to walk her down, down the aisle. Everybody says that it goes by so fast. But the most enduring moment, um, as I'm walking with her and holding her hand, was I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking down at her, and she just starts every few minutes, she just looks up at me, looks me in the eye, and smiles. I got a picture of it. So we're walking, there's Sayla, and uh, she kept doing it. It's not a very good picture. I, I, she kept doing it, and I thought, I've got I've to grab my phone. And so I pulled my phone out, and I think, I've got to Instagram this. This is going to be an exciting <laughs> moment. And um, I'm going to let people know I'm a good dad. And so... Um, I pull my phone out, and uh, I take a picture of her, and um, she just loved taking a walk with her daddy, and I loved taking a walk with her, and when I showed that photo, and I told that story to a friend of mine who's a little bit older than me, and a little bit further along in his life, and his walk with me, he wrote me an email, and here's what he said. He said, Kevin, as I look at that photo, I was reminded of our Heavenly Father, that this is exactly the kind of relationship that our Heavenly Father wants for each of us, his children. He desires to simply get alone, to walk, and to talk with you, Kevin. He deeply desires this kind of intimate love relationship with us. Unfortunately, he says, as we grow older, it seems that we lose the ability to easily and effortlessly, in a childlike way, receive this kind of love from our Heavenly Father. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. And rest comes in the relationship. And we have hope in the midst of the chaos because Jesus offers us himself and he offers us this relationship. I'm going to close in prayer today. And as Cameron and the band comes out, um, we're going to close in prayer a little bit differently. I want to pray specifically a passage of Scripture in the book of Ephesians. 
Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. Now, this is a passage that the Apostle Paul, it's actually a, a prayer that the Apostle Paul wrote to some believers um, when he wrote this letter of Ephesians. And so he's praying for these believers. By the way, some of the best prayers you can pray for somebody is the prayers that Paul prayed. And here's what Ephesians 1.18 says. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened in order that you would know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance. And so I want you to know as a leadership, as a church of this next month, we're going to be praying this passage of Scripture specifically over you and over our church. We're going to be praying that over the next four weeks, in the midst of the chaos, we're going to be praying that God would open the eyes of our heart to the hope that we have in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your unfailing love. I thank you for your love that was demonstrated in Jesus and in his death on the cross. And I thank you that through you, Jesus, that we've been adopted as your children and that now you see us as your children and that you are our Heavenly Father and that you love us unconditionally, God. And I pray, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we would know this hope that we have in you, this inheritance as your children, that you offer us a relationship with the Creator of the universe, that you offer us fellowship with our Savior and our Messiah, that you are a place that we can go for hope in the midst of chaos, that you have words of encouragement that you want to share to us, and that we don't live life as the world does, and we don't have to live up to the expectations of the culture. We can lay those burdens down, and we can come to you, and we can receive and can hear what you have to say to us, God. Would you help us do that in this next month, God? Would you, as some of our folks, open up Psalm 139 over the next couple weeks, and they pray through and read Psalm 139, I pray you'd open the eyes of their heart and that they would receive your love and your encouragement, Jesus. Our hope is in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.